Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. to you tonight about us so I'm going to continue along the theme of the promises of God that Pastor Andreas has been speaking on for some time but today I want to speak about unlocking the promises of God it's wonderful to have promises it's wonderful to know that they're out there but how do you and I practically begin to put those promises to work in our lives to make them our own and to make them effective in our hearts well the place I want to start from is with a statement that Pastor Andreas made a couple of weeks ago. This statement really stuck with me. It really, you know, rolled around in my heart for some time. And he said this, unlocking the power in God's promises takes wisdom and skill. But most of all, it takes an intimate relationship with God. I believe that to be really true. It takes wisdom and skill to unlock the power of God's promises. But most of all, it takes an intimate relationship with God. You know, I want to start by sharing a story with you, and, and, and hopefully you can, in your own imagination, uh, go with me a little bit. Imagine you're traveling to a foreign country that is, is famous for certain things. Uh, you know, I, 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 I was blessed when I was a bit younger to travel to many countries. And every country's got their own little speciality. You know, London's got the delightful weather. And then you go through to Amsterdam, that's famous for other funny stuff. And then, you know, I've been to Paris and the city of l'amour and love and romance and all these wonderful things. One of the places I've been to was Vienna in Austria. Now, Vienna is famous for a few things, for the opera house, for the arts and culture. It's where Mozart, uh, you know, performed many of his arias in that general area. Uh, but one of the things that, that Vienna is very famous for is their coffee shops and their cakes. Most specifically, uh, a, a cake called Zagertorte. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Christian, you may need to help me on that one. Zagertorte, is that right? It's sort of a, a chocolate cake with dark chocolate drizzled over it, decadent and rich and delicious. And... Mm, and you hear about this and you read stories about it. And so I decided when I was when I was in, in, in Vienna, I had to try one of these Zachertorte cakes, a slice of this cake. Well, my experience was awful. I went down one of the main streets in Vienna and I picked out a pretty, you know, conspicuous coffee shop. I paid a fortune for the thing and it was dry as old boots and it was terrible and I really didn't enjoy it at all. Now, let me contrast that with the experience my mother had. A few years before, she had gone to Vienna and somebody who used to work with her had a friend who married uh, an Austrian man and they immigrated to Vienna and they lived, well, just outside the city on a little farm, small holding. But so they went to go and spend some time with them. And this, this gentleman took my mom and my father uh, and, and her mom, because they were traveling together, into Vienna 
to a, a particular coffee shop that he knows and he said you've got to come and i'm going to show you the time of your life and he took her and he bought her the the famed zakatorte which apparently was delicious and moist and yum plus some apple pie plus you know this kind of cake and a black forest cake and this kind of tart and a bit of this and a bit of that. there were six or seven tarts strewn across the table all paid for all included all delicious and all needed to be eaten uh, it was quite my mom tells the story about how full she was there and then still had to go home and eat the three-course meal that his wife had now spent the afternoon preparing for them and they were so so full and so stuffed by the end of the night but there's a there's a big difference between the two experiences i knew about this tart and this this piece of chocolate cake and i went at trying to experience it and I fell on my face because I didn't go to the right place. I got taken for a ride. I got given probably three days old yesterday's cake because I was a young kid as well. I mean, who wants to give them the good stuff, right? Versus my mother's experience because she knew somebody, that person took her to the right place, ensured that everything was fantastic because he was a local and covered the cost of everything. He paid in full. Many of us try and go at God's promises in the same kind of way. We know about them. We try to get them to work in our lives. But when we connect in a deep level with Jesus, who is the promiser, who makes us all come alive and who paid for them in full, our experience is very, very different. You see, there's a big difference between knowing about something or knowing about someone and really knowing or something or someone intimately. Another good example is playing the piano. All of you on my screen know how to play the piano. You all do. You know that you sit next to the keyboard, you push the keys down and those keys make a noise. Is that not how everybody from my five-year-old to Liberace plays the piano? Richard Kleinerman plays the piano like that. Everybody plays the piano like that. The question is, how many of you can actually do it? Now, I've got a five-year-old that is utterly and thoroughly convinced she can play the piano. And she's partly right, because she sits behind it and pushes down the keys. She loves it. Makes a god-awful noise for the rest of us. But she makes a joyful noise to the Lord, we shall say. You see, to really play the piano in a way that is proper, in a way that makes a melody, that makes something beautiful out of it, that makes something meaningful out of it. It takes a measure of control, of coordination, a measure of skill. That's why Pastor Andreas said, you know, to, to take hold of and to unlock the promises of God, it takes wisdom, it takes skill, just like playing the piano. And it's, it's the same principle. It's one thing to know about the promises of God, but it's an altogether different thing to walk in them. You know, what does it mean to walk in the peace of God? Believers all the time, we say, oh, we have the peace of God. We have the joy of the Lord, but we walk around and we're miserable. We are brought down by everything we're fed by the media and we see around us. To be led by the Holy Spirit, what an incredible promise from God that he will lead us by his spirit. But yet how many people do, do we need to share and counsel and sit and listen to who don't know which way to go? who don't know what to do next, who cannot discern the will and the love of God for them, for their own lives. You know, what about the power of God to deliver from addiction and from depression? 
We know that God has given us deliverance. How many people have been able to truly lay hold of that to the extent that it becomes effective and effectual in their lives? Unlocking the power of, 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 of God's promises is, is the essence of what I want to talk to you about. And it requires a key. To unlock anything, you need a key. And today I want to talk about that key. And in doing so, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Second Peter. Right near the back. Second Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read a few verses of Scripture. Starting with verse 2. I'm reading from the New King James, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through, well, start at verse 2 and we'll make our way. It says the following, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's stop there for now. Can anybody tell me what the key is? The knowledge of God. Knowledge. Thank you, Italia. You get a naughty bad. Well done. Knowledge, knowledge is the key, but not just any kind of knowledge. You see, so I learned something about this word knowledge many years ago, uh, and it really changed the way I read scriptures that refer to knowledge, especially, well, in the New Covenant especially. The Greek has two words for knowledge. I can see Michael's right on my tail here. He's already got it. Uh, he's learned this before, and it's such a powerful principle when we can understand it. There's two Greek words for the word knowledge. The one is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, and that is knowledge, understanding. That's like, I know how to play the piano. I push down the keys and they make a noise. That is, I know that God promises me peace in my heart. He promises me salvation. He promises me deliverance. I know it up here. That's gnosis. But there's another kind of knowledge that the Bible speaks of, and that the Greek word is epignosis, which is E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S. -S. And that, if you want an English equivalent, would be revelation knowledge or perhaps even better, experiential knowledge. It is knowledge that has become alive in us to the point where it produces a result. It produces a change. Scripturally, this is a divine type of knowledge that comes not from men or from our understanding, but that comes from God. That's why when Peter said to Jesus, you are the Christ, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father that is in heaven. There was a revelation that took place in that moment that changed Peter's life and his heart in a, in a, in a real way. It settled down deep in him. Now, let me read these same verses of scripture we just read again. And I want to explain to you the difference in the, dif in the, in the words where knowledge is used. Starting at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the epignosis, the revelation, experiential knowledge of God. Not the head knowledge, but an intimate experiential knowledge of God and about Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness through the epignosis, the revelation knowledge of him. Not just his promises, not just his word, but of the person of Jesus Christ, who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Let's jump to verse five. So he's talked about this, this intimate relationship and this knowledge, and he goes on to say, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. Now, in this point, we've got gnosis. In other words, education. Learn more and more to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither, you'll be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge, the revelation knowledge, the epignosis of Jesus Christ. So in other words, revelation knowledge produces real and true fruit. It's a wonderful realization. Again, let me come back to the piano. I am blessed to have a musical gift. I, I pick up music easily. I enjoy music. I enjoy playing the piano. I'm not very good at it because I don't really practice it all that much. But I do know that if I were to practice piano half an hour to an hour every day, my ability would soar because I have a natural gift for music to play. I have also an experiential gift with the piano. I know certain things to do. I know the way around the keys. And yet if I keep studying, guess what happens? My experience becomes so much better. And therefore the experience of all those around me becomes so much better. Folks, let me ask you this. What is the point of knowledge that doesn't produce any fruit? You see, the enemy knows that if he can keep us occupied with general trivia, with interesting facts, with gossip, even concerning the church or the word of God or just interesting stuff, we will remain unfruitful in the knowledge of God and in his promises. It's not just about the interesting things. It's about the ability to have an experience that changes us and that grows, just like I've just mentioned with the piano. So here's a few portions, uh, a few points that I want to draw out of that portion of scripture. And I want you to just write these down because these are wonderful things for you to meditate on throughout the week. Number one is this. Grace and peace come through knowledge. Peter says grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge. Now, these are the fruit of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Why do I say that? What is grace? Grace is not just divine favor. I think that is really a very narrow view of what grace is. Grace is the very person and power of Jesus Christ himself meeting us at our point of need. For me, that's the best definition of grace I've ever heard. Where we needed salvation, Christ comes to meet us. Where we need deliverance, Christ comes to meet us with his power and his ability to do that in us and through us that we are unable to do ourselves. And what is peace? Peace is not just the absence of chaos or the absence of turmoil or contention. Peace is the fruit of the presence of the Prince of Peace. It's that despite what's going on around us, I am settled. I am not worried or anxious about anything. Grace and peace come through the knowledge 
of the person of Jesus Christ. The second point that I want to make is this. No gift from God, no word from God, no promise from God is devoid of power. When God says something, when God makes a statement, when he makes a promise, there is power in that promise, enough power to cause it to come to effect and achieve its desired result. You see, in your life and in my life, it's not what we can do that makes the difference. It's what God can do. Isaiah 55, 11, we're familiar with it. It says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish what I want it to, and it will prosper wherever I send it. Now, that's very important to know because it, it, it aligns our faith. It creates a measure of expectation in our hearts towards God that if he promises me something, there is power in that promise to see it have an effect in my life. The third point that I want to make, revelation knowledge is the key that unlocks and makes this power available. It's not just knowing about it, but it's an intimate connection. And fourthly, God's promises are intended to make us partakers of his divine nature. That we may be partakers of his nature. Now, when we hear that, I think generally we our minds go towards aspects like love. The nature of God is to be loving, to to have joy or kindness or patience or faithfulness. These are attributes of God's nature. But let me ask you a question. Is it in the nature of God to succumb to temptation? Is it in the nature of God to walk in victory over sin and the power of sin? Is it in the nature of God to prosper in everything he does? Is it in the nature of God to bring healing and honor wherever he goes and wherever his presence is honored? You see, to be a partaker of the nature of God goes far beyond just being kind or nice. It means that there is fruit in our lives that demonstrates that the power of the, the risen Christ is effective and at work within us. And this is why, by the effective working of these promises, we're able to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's what that portion of scripture says. You see, many of us approach the promises of God just like my five-year-old approaches playing the piano. We know how to do it, but can we really do it? Let me ask you, to what degree are God's promises working and producing fruit in your life? Think about that question. It's a good question to write down and spend time meditating on this week. What am I talking about? I'm talking about his grace, his peace, his victory, his nature. Let me let me take you to a parable in the book of Luke. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 13. Luke 13 from verse 6 to verse 9. We can read it together. Luke 13, 6 to 9. It says this. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Why does it waste the space? 
But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Now, this parable has to do with repentance and God's mercy and judgment. That's the real theme of it. But we can extrapolate the same principle from it that I'm sharing with you today. How many times over the past weeks has Pastor Andreas said to us, the promises of God are a seed. They come in seed form, right? They don't come fully delivered. They come in the form of a seed that needs to be planted into our hearts and, and, and watered that it may grow. But the truth is that God expects fruit. Remember, his word never returns to him empty. Now, we see in the story about a keeper that says to his master, hang on a second. I understand your frustration. You want to see fruit. Let, let's not be too hasty. Let me fertilize this tree. Give it one more year. And, and he didn't say that. It's very important to remember to notice. He didn't sort of say, oh, give it another year and leave it at that. He said, no, I'm going to change things here. Give this another year, but I am going to fertilize it. I'm going to give this tree special attention. I'm probably going to prune it. He's going to fertilize it. He's going to try and make this tree produce fruit. He's going to do what he can to produce the fruit. Now, let me ask you, God's promises are in your heart. They're there. They're a part of your life. They're a part of your faith. He's given them to you. And he is looking for fruit. Let me ask you this. Who is responsible for keeping your heart? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? You know, if you read Psalm 121, verse 3, it says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And we have this picture of God keeping us. The, the scripture about He will never let anybody snatch you out of His hand. You know, you, God will keep you. But yet, Proverbs 4:23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I think the scripture that brings these two together best is found in Isaiah 26, verse 3, where it says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And in there we see this beautiful marriage. This question of who is responsible for keeping your heart to ensure that it produces fruit is, is, a, is a poignant one. But within this question, lies one of the most profound mysteries in scripture and that is this god expects us to produce fruit knowing that we are powerless to do it <laughs> god expects fruit of righteousness of holiness of the power of his finished work in our lives but he knows that we are powerless to produce it so how do these two come together turn with me to john chapter 15 couple more scriptures and I'll be done. John chapter 15. Because in this portion of scripture, the secret to this mystery is revealed. John 15, 1 to 8, Jesus says this. I am the vine, the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So clearly, what is God after? Fruit, that his word will not return to him void, empty. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Isn't that simple? This beautiful secret. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Why? Because they're not producing any fruit, just like the fig tree. No fruit. There's no point to it. Verse 7. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will be desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You see, although the branch, although you and I are expected to produce fruit, you and I are utterly dependent upon the vine, Jesus Christ, in order to do so. You see, this is not something we do in our own strength. It's not something we conjure up or muster. You know, if, if you go and stand in the vineyard, in the middle of a vineyard, you will not hear a vine going, I need to produce grapes. There's a grape. Four more grapes, three more grapes. That's not how grapes come. They don't pop out through the effort of the branches. Fruitfulness comes as a natural result of the life and the sap that that branch receives from the vine. And this is how this mystery works. Folks, when we talk about the promises of God, we need to understand that Jesus is the promiser. He is the promise. And he is the fulfillment of every promise. Our deep, intimate and experiential knowledge of him is what unlocks and empowers every word and promise that God has given us. Second Corinthians one verse 20 says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him. Amen to the glory of God through us. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Folks, as I look to God to lead me in shepherding his, his, his beloved sheep into the pastures of his life-giving grace, I am acutely aware that all I can really do is keep pointing them again and again into his presence. And that's really all I'm doing today once again. That place is where gnosis becomes epignosis, where information becomes experience, where the word becomes life and light and that's the place where true fruitfulness begins you see the promises of god can never be separated from the person of god the promises of god are all found in jesus they are activated through intimacy with him you see we cannot claim a single promise outside of jesus it is because of our relationship with him that through jesus all these things have been given us freely that we may partake of him because he is the answer his nature is the victory his nature and his power 
are what it is that we are truly seeking after. You see, we cannot look at the promises of God as an abstract thing outside of Jesus, but they are a part of an intimate walk with him. And the more we know him, the more his and our, the, 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 the deeper our knowledge, personal knowledge of him, the more he will lead us into his promises and make them effective and experiential in our lives. I'm going to close with the same prayer that Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1 from verse 17 to the first part of verse 19. And I want to close today by praying the same prayer over you. And it's a prayer that he prays that they would have a revelation, a deep, intimate knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. So that from that would flow a faith that is vibrant, that is experiential and produces tremendous fruit. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you, Jesus. That when you came, you came as the fulfillment of every prophetic word and every promise that the Father had given. And yet, Lord Jesus, that through you today, as we look back at the cross, every promise you have made, Father God, is yes and amen because of your son, Jesus. Father, I want to thank you today that you haven't given us a set of rules that lead to predetermined results, but what you've given us is the person, your son, Lord Jesus Christ. You are our promise. You are our promise keeper. And thank you that we have a deep and an intimate relationship with you through which we can experience the fullness of your nature. And Father God, I want to pray today for your people, your beloved sons and daughters. Father, that you would give to each one the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I pray that the eyes of their understanding of their hearts would be enlightened, that they may know experientially what is the hope of your calling upon their lives and what are the exceeding riches of the glory that you have that, that, that you have given us as an inheritance as your saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of your power as it works effectively in and through us as we believe. I pray for that revelation to settle deep in their hearts. I pray for it to flow like an abundant, mighty water, Lord God. That our experience of your promises would, would, would change from being something we know about to something we've learned to walk in as we walk closely with you our Lord and our Savior. I bless you and I thank you for this this afternoon or this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.